There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Spurs in full cry here. Welcome, listeners, to The Extra Inch. My name is Windy, and I'm joined by my psychic and best friend, Bardi. Hello, Bardi. Good afternoon, Windy. And our tactics guy and my sleeping beauty, Nathan A. Clark. Hello, Nathan. We're all going to die. Yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, it feels very trivial to be talking about football with everything that's happening in the world at the moment. And I hope that this is a distraction for some listeners. Um, I don't want to sort of ex- exactly what I've just said, trivialise what's going on. And, you know, we, we all have loved ones who would be high risk were they to uh, contract this nasty virus <sighs> that's sweeping the planet. So we very much appreciate that everyone is very on edge right now. And if we can provide some kind of distraction in the form of um, discussion of <laughs> what's going wrong with Tottenham Hotspur, then <laughs> that's a good thing. Um, so what we're going to do, uh, as we haven't pod- podcasted for a while, we're going to talk through the Burnley game, we're going to talk through the RB Leipzig, Leipzig game, talk through how things are going with Tongi and Dombele, because my gosh, there's a lot to say there. And then we're going to talk a little bit about how the coronavirus is affecting football. And I mean, like I said, obviously, it's very trivial, very trivial compared to the bigger picture. Uh, but this is a this is a football podcast, so we've got to try and do that. Um, we'll start off with Burnley then. It was an interesting team selection. We went with a 3-4-3. When Eric dies in the starting eleven, I think there's always a, a part of you that, that wonders whether it'll be a back three or whether he'll be playing in defensive midfield. It was odd in some ways that we played a back three with essentially no midfield against Burnley, who like to play forward early up to Chris Wood and win second balls and knockdowns. They got the ball out to Dwight McNeil regularly and he was beating his man and whipping in cross after cross after cross. And ultimately we had to to kind of give up on that formation at half time and make some changes we'll come on to that but um Nathan were you surprised with the with the 11 that started uh I definitely was when I read it but I guess that like um it was largely forced by the injuries that we have at the moment and the um fact that we were sort of rotating in preparation for the Leipzig game but then I just think we know how Ndombele plays when he starts rather than when he comes off the bench. So we we knew that we were going to be just completely um, surrendering midfield anyway, which I just think is not is not really a way you can ever set up. Like, and I, I know how incredibly cynical this is, but there's almost an element of like Jose is deliberately setting that up to say, "See, this is what happens to to, to prove a point." Because like, okay. um, and not that I'm absolutely glued or certain of that idea, but it's just like, of, of course. Of course, we we surrendered the midfield with with, with Skippen and Dombele there. Um, the back three wasn't so shocking because I think we've seen that uh, quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, and I feel like um, 
like that is essentially how Mourinho decided that he wanted to set up for the second leg against Leipzig straight after the first leg, and then we've we've played that formation since as sort of preparation. Mm, mm. Um, this feels like a, a very long time ago. This match because so much has happened since. Um, so like trying to think back to how I felt at the time of the team selection is tricky. But I know that in the lead up, Mourinho had made a big thing about having to either focus on Burnley or on Leipzig, and he couldn't focus on both. I know that we'd just come off the match against Norwich and lots of players were knackered. Uh, I mean, Bergwijn was, is broken as a result of the Norwich game. Yep. Lucas was exhausted. Uh, Le Celso was clearly hugely exhausted. We, we Essentially, players are in the red zone at this point. They're at risk of suffering muscular injuries. And so Mourinho had little choice but to do some rotation. I think a lot of people made assumptions that he'd essentially prioritise the Leipzig game. I'm not sure that's the case. I think he just picked the probably, as he saw it, most fit players or least at risk of picking up injuries players. Um, Bardi, what did you make of a team selection and this performance against Burnley? Uh, I mean, had um, had Endombele played like the Endombele we thought we were signing, then I think we would have been able to control the ball. But essentially, we came up against a very industrious team with a very unindustrial central midfield. And it, we weren't able to play the ball out. We weren't able to pick up the second ball. And we, we weren't able to, to do anything to really affect them. And it wasn't until we brought on Lo Celso, who's great at keeping the ball, and Lucas, who gives us an option on the counter-attack and for all his faults. He's a, he's, he's a hard-working player who is capable of collecting the second ball. It wasn't until we made those changes that um, we saw a little bit of daylight. And uh, I think had the game continued on and meandered on, I think we probably would have won it in the end. I think somebody would have come up with some touch of class to win it. But, you know, Burnley are a tough team and it's a tough place to go for a reason. And a point at the end of the day, they were on a good run as well. They could have gone above us had we beaten them. A point is probably not too bad a result. Yeah, I, th- I think that's fair. At any other points in recent seasons, you, you probably would have taken a point away at Burnley. But the situation we were in um, has led to this feeling like a really disappointing result. And I think the nature of the performance makes it so as well. Um, and you're right to say that we improved in the second half because that is absolutely the case. But we still didn't look a threat and I felt all the time that Burnley had us at arm's length and we were, a lot, we were heavily reliant on getting a penalty to score a penalty that was taken by Delhi. It was a really good penalty. There was kind of a big sense of weights being lifted off Delhi. I, I thought in the celebration and the way he kind of t- took control of that situation. And actually, I was really pleased with how Delhi spoke uh, pre-Leipzig and post-Leipzig as well. He seemed to be taking on a lot of additional responsibility there and showed some real maturity. Um, he had a good game against Burnley. I, I said that at half time that he was playing well, and lots of people on Twitter disagreed mm-hmm. with me. I, I thought he was one of few players who was willing to kind of bring the ball down under pressure and try and try and do some things do the right things it it certainly didn't come off every time but um I was kind of pleased to see him take responsibility um Barney what did you make of Delhi? Delhi, we know is a fantastic player but he's always kind of worked off somebody else whether that be Kane whether that be Ericsson or Son at moments but and but those guys aren't there now the the desk front line is gone and he remains he he is our established star now he is our number one player and we've kind of been looking towards him to to step up and try to turn games on his own ability instead of these fleeting moments where he arrives and scores a goal to actually have an impact for a sustained period of time and i think i think he's doing that 
And against Burnley and against Leipzig, I really liked the way he was moving. I liked the way the things he was trying. But unfortunately, he is in actually a situation now where he is on his own and he doesn't have the players around him. Against Leipzig, we didn't have Bergwijn's um, speed and his ability. And unfortunately for Delhi, he's now stepped up, but he's looked around and he's on his own. He needs he needs some help. Yeah, I think that's a really, really astute point. He's not the kind of player that can do things on his own often. He works off others and is very reliant on others uh, making space available for him and holding the ball up and having some neat in to play around the edge of the box. He's not someone who kind of just picks up the ball and, and pings it into the top corner like someone like Hume Song can. Um, Nathan, what have you made of Delhi? I've been I've been pretty impressed, you know. Especially, obviously, I've sort of ragged on Lucas playing up top, um, mm. but I, I do definitely think that that Delhi has performed well there, um, and and the numbers match the eye test there as well. Um, he oh right, up, okay, yeah. So he put up like 0.9 expected goals in um, oh, what game was it? Was it Wolves? And then uh, had obviously the penalty, but you know we don't really look into that too much. And then he had our second best shot of the match, uh, a 0.1 expected goal shot. So uh, it's a tiny sample, um, but essentially he is getting from the, that tiny sample. He was getting some decent shots in some decent locations, um, as well as being you know doing also what he does coming deep and being involved in build up play. So on that basis, there, there was some some promise there. Obviously now there's not going to be football for a long time, and and it looks. Looks like we'll have Kane and Son back before the the ball is pasted on the pitch again. But um, mm. that you know, that people had been calling for Delhi to play up front for for quite a while, um, and, and I feel like they were justified, and, and that he won't get his time to to prove that that was a smart call. Now he's um he's come up against a lot of criticism this season. He's had a really, really tough time, I think, Delhi. Yeah. Um so so last season Delhi was moved back into a deeper midfield position to compensate for the fact that we didn't have a defensive midfielder and he wasn't at his best as a result. I felt he did a really good job of trying to do things, but he's not his best in midfield anymore. He's much better in a final third. When Mourinho joined us, uh he put him in his best position, he shone for a couple of games, and then almost immediately the injuries hit and he was dragged back into that kind of deeper midfield position and once again I felt as though he was toiling away and and you know running as much as anyone if not more than anyone uh week to week to week but we weren't seeing him his best and it's taken a while for him to then be tried as a central striker and like you say he's kind of building a bit of a head of steam there so whilst the team's underperforming he's probably performing at a reasonable par level the issue is that we need him to overperform to to help us at the moment and and that's really difficult when when key players are out around you and um, we should talk about the Leipzig game in, in some detail I think um it was really upsetting because the first 10 minutes I thought went pretty well and as ever with with Spurs you kind of had a bit of hope and it's always (laughs) the hope that kills you Nathan what did you make of the first 10? Yeah so watching live the first 10 was really sort of exciting and promising uh, and then obviously everything fell apart but I've been back uh, and watched that opening section again I I, I sort of tweeted some some still images and a thread on it and basically um, it was it was never gonna last so we uh, we we pressed Leipzig really intensely really high up the pitch but we we did so in a sort of extremely uh, man-orientated, almost man-marking style. 
And uh, so for the first 10 minutes, we sort of, we rushed them, um, we forced them into sloppy parties, we turned the ball over in midfield and we attacked him behind really quickly. Um, and we got into the box two or three times early on and that was really promising. Uh, and then sort of just before the 10 minute mark, um, Leipzig realised that they could simply beat their opposite number with a bit of skill or a bit of pace or a bit of power. And um, and then they were free because if you're marking a man and suddenly the opposite the opposition player on the ball is free, do you abandon your player? If you've not been instructed in that way, if that's not what the focus has been on in training, you're really lost. Um, so, um, yeah, it, it, there's sort of a, a gamble within a heavy man marking or, or sort of a nearly man marking system in that you're you're saying that you think that your players are as good or better than their opposite number. Um, and this is a really strong Leipzig squad. Young players, but skillful and highly athletic. And I and I think that the the way that we pressed them was was doomed from the start. Um, maybe from one of those opening three chances we could have got a goal and then sat back. But then we're still only level pegging overall. I don't know. It, it it's confusing, but it it doesn't look great under the lens. I mean, I I agree with a lot of what Nathan said and the first ten minutes. Um, but I think where we were different towards uh, the Leipzig's when they started attacking man on man. Um. We allowed, we allowed them to get past, whereas when we did it, they would bring us down. And there was consistent... That's true. That's true. Consi- they, didn't, they committed nearly double the amount of fouls we did. They were much smarter. I think Winks, uh, Lucas, Lamella, even Delhi himself, they could have been a bit smarter with, with, with stopping the play with a tactical foul, whereas we, they beat us and then they let us go. We know referees are very unlikely to give a yellow card of a, for a foul deep in the um, opposition's half. And I think that was where we, we just lacked smartness, which is weird with considering Mourinho's our manager. Mm. They're really good, Leipzig. They're really, really good. Um, and so it was no surprise that they, they beat us comfortably. It, it was just a shame that having done so well for that first 10 minutes that we couldn't just get the first goal because I think that's what we were hoping for. That was the that was the idea behind coming out and pressing them from the start. It was get that first goal and then see what happens. But um, of course, you know, it's Tottenham, so we throw one into our own net, essentially. Um I thought Winks was absolutely awful in the first half. I, I, I really felt for him watching that performance. Um, you know, we've we've said for so long now that we lack a central defensive midfielder, so it feels pretty fruitless to say it all over again. But Winks was so exposed in this one with Sabitzer, who was just fantastic, running off him time and time and time again, and Winks not having no answer for it. They also completely dominated us on the flanks. Um, Aurier is Aurier, and Sessegnon was just back after a, an injury layoff and looked so timid he looked so short of confidence and just not the player we hope he will become at the moment so we were struggling out wide we we're struggling in the middle and we struggled with Lloris making poor errors um so I guess you know the end result is is as a result of that it's all those things coming together and yeah it just didn't go our way um are there any positives to take from the game Nathan um uh at least Mourinho is keen on the idea of pressing high even in big games occasionally 
Right, so Mittal, who is a, a long-time listener, says, is the Leipzig game finally evidence that Jose is willing to adapt his style, but we don't have the players to cope with teams countering on us when we do? I think that's a fair comment, actually. Bardi, do you think that's um, something perhaps we'll see more of next season? Yeah, I think so. Um, I can't remember when Nathan said this, but I think a lot of what's happening this season is Mourinho um, demonstrating weaknesses in the team and trying to highlight where the problems are. Um, I would just like to reflect on Hugo. I think he's carrying an injury because he's, you know, he's not a bad goalkeeper. He doesn't normally let those two goals in. I think he's been rushed back from his injury because... Vorm is is pointless, and Gazaniga has and Mourinho has lost all faith in Gazaniga. Mm, mm. Speaking of carrying an injury, uh, we need to deal with the Tongi and Dombele issue because we've not covered that yet. So I, I think there are two issues to discuss here, and that's firstly Ndombélé's lack of effort, or or certainly perceived lack of effort, and then secondly Mourinho's decision to call him out and what the purpose of that decision was. Hmm. Uh, so on issue one, uh, Neil Mepham, who is Mepfish on Twitter, he says, "What did you think of Jamie Carragher's piece in Ndombélé? Was it fair enough?" So we'll start with that, Bardi. What did you make of Carragher's? Uh, Monday Night Football bit on Ndombele. What did you make of Ndombele's performance in the first half against Burnley? And do you think it's a lack of effort or do you think he's got an injury? I mean, I, th- I think Tottenham, we have an issue anyway. When the ball goes into the fullback area, we we never really have that kind of pass into midfield anyway. Um, ben Davies gave the ball away, I don't know, 20-something times against Chelsea because when he gets pushed and pressed to the line, you need a midfielder coming short to collect it and... No one was doing it and he wasn't, well, he was on the pitch actually against Chelsea. It wasn't happening then and it's continued to happen. Um, so I think there's definitely a question mark on that, on that willingness to drop into that area to help out a teammate. But also he, he suffers as well because when you have a huge player, this, his size, always lack of effort is always pinned on them as, as a, as a tall, as a tall footballer. You're always going to look a bit ungainly and a bit kind of slower than everybody else. So it's, you know, it's a fair, it's a fair stick to hit him with, but it's also unfair. But I'm going to go with Carragher and say he was right to to whack him with this stick. How about you, Nathan? Do you have any theories on this uh, issue? Uh, was this game different to because we previously defended him, didn't we, in, in the video against Wolves with um, with Neto? Do you think this was different? In that it was worse. I, I it's not really a change of circumstances. We we know what's been going on. Um, I, I I'm sympathetic to the idea that he's just absurdly lazy um and he does have sort of history in that area in the past but like i i I don't find that satisfying as an answer i don't think that you know you move to a top premier league club having worked really hard all you know for two years to get that move and then suddenly what you rest on your laurels you're you're happy with your contract or maybe you just don't like Mourinho. i i find that difficult as an explanation and I, and I think that the amount of time that he spent out with injury this season the repeat repetition of the same injuries to me that says there's a there's a fitness issue there's a there's a a, a, a sort of a soft lingering injury issue um and on that basis to if that is the case and certainly if Mourinho knows that's the case the idea of calling him out in public is um disgraceful basically um it, it, it's really strange I, I'm, I'm really struggling to come to terms with with watching him sort of just plod around the pitch or shy away from the ball um because neither of these explanations make a huge amount of sense um 
but to for for Carragher or whoever to simply say he's lazy, he's disgraceful is not like a full investigation and not a full yeah. consideration of what's going on. Yeah, and no, I think that's the key point. Um, so it so he, here's where I stand on this. I think if Mourinho's been told by his backroom staff that Ndombele is is fully fit now, we've we've had this fitness program for him. We've got him to a point where all the tests show that he's up to speed and he should be able to play and we should be able to start him. And then he puts out that performance where he seems not only yeah. demotivated but like almost genuinely throwing the towel in. Then I absolutely understand why Mourinho is furious at the performance he's he's letting his team down he really is letting his team down but and this is the, this is the this is the bit where i i'm really struggling with Mourinho's approach what does he think he's going to get from doing this and i think this is where we need to move to Mourinho's decision to call him out so publicly some people have said that they've listened back to it and what Mourinho said was not that bad and it was absolutely spot on so point one yes it isn't that bad if you assume that Ndombele is not injured it is absolutely not that bad however it's not that bad to think it but to say it publicly in such a way I mean he started it off by almost saying I, I can't say what I want to say because it's too bad and then he just said it anyway he loves to do and that that's one of his favourite he does it's, it's like a it's like a little teaser um, I think personally Personally, that that's the end of Ndombele at Spurs. I think it's the beginning of the end. And this is a player we've broken our transfer record on. You know, I struggle to see how he can come back from this. It must have been so humiliating for him. And if Mourinho has some kind of insight into his character that says, if you humiliate this boy a little bit, he's going to respond. And if that happens, then I will I will apologise and say, you know, you were right, I was wrong. I, I can't see, I cannot see how that will happen. I just, as, as someone who manages multiple people and has managed multiple people over over the last 10 years I don't think public humiliation is an appropriate way of motivating the majority of human beings and, and I really struggle with it and um, Buddy what, what did you make of Mourinho's uh, post-match stance when whenever a manager goes after a player it, it very rarely ends well um, I don't think this will end well I think the next time we um, we go to break our transfer record, we should do like what we did with Jimmy Greaves um, when we we signed him for ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Just go one pound underneath the the record transfer <laughs> because every every single player we've broken our transfer record for has been pretty bad. You know, um, Rebrov, um, Lamella, Endombele, uh, perhaps even Davinson. People would go at Davinson as well. So. I think we should think think twice before we break our transfer record again. Um, I don't know whether this is the end of Endombele. I think I think we need to see what happens over the next six weeks of this season, and then the summer, and then leading into next year. We know um, he needs he needs a defensive midfield partner, but can we trust building our team around him? I, I think I think he's got another season in him, and um, yeah, I, I hope I hope we see something from him because we had a lot of faith. There was a lot of excitement around him. I just hope he doesn't become another record transfer. For I I hope you're right. He's he's so he's so talented. He's so so talented. Um, Nathan, the the most pundits have been in universal agreement that what Mourinho did uh, was not a good thing in 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 terms of remotivating that player. Do you have any kind of hope that that approach could work? Um, I guess footballers are kind of different, and Mourinho does sort of have a lot of experience. Maybe he's always got it wrong, but like he he did certainly at least used to be noted as a man manager. Um, he he's, he's not the only manager to criticise a player in public. So, uh, yeah, footballers are pretty weird. Um, but essentially, the idea here is that like he's tried being nice 
which firstly I'm not that convinced of, but he's tried holding back and now he's giving him both barrels and it's like, okay, just because being nice hasn't worked so far doesn't mean that it's not going to be fruitful eventually and then that doesn't account for the potential negative effects of calling him out in public. So that's that's not like a complete um, logical thing either. Mm. Um, And in terms of, yeah, pundits, it's like there's this very obvious parallel here, isn't there, with Paul Pogba, you know, another incredibly talented French black midfielder that Mourinho gave all kinds of 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 criticism again and again and again in public interviews um and and I and I think did a lot of damage there to his United career Mourinho's United career and and I feel like pundits are learning from that and saying maybe you should respect your players more and this is the other thing um people are queuing up to take shots at Mourinho in in the media they really are he is he is the polar opposite to Pochettino in many ways in that he's not well liked in most media outlets so to do something as kind of controversial and shocking as this just makes him an easy target he's making his life even more difficult it's kind of it's bizarre to me I, I i don't understand this approach in particular i think if he wanted to be that scathing he should have done it out of the public eye there's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care plush care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe fda approved weight loss medications like wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss Question from Rally Gersling, who says, "What's the deal with footballers struggling with fitness? Do they just not train? Do they? Sorry, do they just not train too hard to preserve the quality of the technical training?" Um, Nathan, I feel like you'll be a good person to respond on this. Yeah. We've had so many injuries, and I've kind of been taking a few slightly sort of facetious shots on Twitter about Pochettino's role in all this. Um, what, what do you think is causing all these injuries we've had? I mean, something clearly went wrong with our fitness this season from the off. Um, I don't know whether it, it it's likely to be that either we tried to front load our physical activity too hard at the beginning of pre-season or started too soft and tried to build up too slow at the beginning of the season. I'm not sure which is, I guess. I guess the rate of injuries would say that we started too slow. I don't know, whatever. But there was clearly some sort of gamble and miscalculation on... I get the impression that there was some sort of uh, gambling and miscalculating on behalf of sort of Pochino and Perez and and that sort of undid Pochino's time at the club and also left Mourinho in um, a really bad spot as well because there's just this this uh, simultaneous fatigue like a lack of freshness and a lack of match fitness just throughout the squad all season. Uh, there's there's a there's a differing of styles here as well in that Pochino wants to sort of get the absolute maximum out of all of his players um, on a season by season basis, and that sort of can does run players into the ground earlier in their careers, which means they peak earlier um, and have shorter careers, uh, but means that they play a similar number of matches just by being able to play week in week out. 
Um, whereas Mourinho doesn't want to like push them up to the red line again and again and again, he's happy to just sort of uh, maintain a more steady level of fitness without like as drastic peaks and troughs and uh, rotate more and not absolutely push for every minute of every game. Um, so I get so I, I guess that sort of the changing approach to periodization between the two managers probably undermines the fitness as well. Um, I don't know. It's really weird. Something clearly has gone wrong in terms of the physical preparation for this season, and and it's something that we're still very much not over at all. Mm. It's interesting that you mentioned preseason actually, because thinking back now, even in preseason we had loads of injuries to the point where we a lot of players couldn't go on the tour, and we ended up taking a lot of. Um, mm youth players and having to play them out of position just to sort of fill gaps in the team okay and even within that tour we were playing players more than we wanted to because there were so few available Mm. um and I remember that being an issue. I remember not being too worried about it at the time because I thought, okay, well, the players that will come back will then kind of be fresh and they'll be joining at a time when we'll need that freshness. And it really hasn't worked out that way. And Bardi, of course, he's also had the issue that because there's been so many injuries, it's like a it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because he's having to play yeah. the likes of Lucas and, and Bergven over and over again. Do you have sympathy, Bardi, for Mourinho with this? Yeah, I, th- I think Nathan touched on something there where we've gone from one... One manager who has one style of getting people fit and how they approach the season and then switching straight away to another one. I think the lack of rotations hurt us. I think I think as weird as it is, I think lacking Musa Sissoko as well has hurt us because there's an, an individual that normally can complete 90 minutes after 90 minutes after 90 minutes and he's able to take a lot of strain off other players. I think it's I think it's one of those things. I think there's a combination of the way we came out of the World Cup last season. Um, was it last season? The season before I'm losing my mind now over all the seasons. But how we came out of the World Cup with no pre-season, no signings. And it just seems to have been a continuation of, of bad planning. And I, I think a lot of this can probably be attributed to that, that summer where we signed nobody and we had 11 players at the final week of the World Cup. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you're quite right. The the lack of signings, the lack of rotation under Pochettino at times. He, I mean, he only really rotated the fullbacks regularly. There there wasn't other regular rotation throughout his whole tenure at Spurs. Mm. Uh, the the lack of involvement of youth players, meaning you're not kind of resting key players at key times. Um, the Bielsa burnout effect. You know, we we went for this high pressing style for at least. I'd say three of his five years. It's it, there are many reasons why we that, that could have led us to the position we're in now, um, and it's just like everything's hit at once, and it's really unfortunate. Um, and I actually, I feel lots of people are kind of looking back now and saying, well, obviously we should have signed a striker in January, and I, I kind of think, yeah, that's that's easy to say now, but in January we had Son and we signed Bergvein, who we thought could potentially help with some minutes up front or certainly in the final third and chipping with goals and allow us to play Son up front um, so I don't know I, I would not have been happy if we'd signed Odin Agalo or dare I say the like someone of the ilk of Chris Wood I'd have been really disappointed with that kind of short termist approach so I, I think it's wrong to say that we should have signed a striker uh, but you, you, you just the luck is just insane with Kane going down and then Son or like the, the week after the transfer window closed him succumbing to injury as well well we did speak about it at, at the time when the transfer window closed and it was always a gamble and it was um, it was a gamble that we took and it it has backfired I think had we a Chris Wood, a English Lorente, I think we'd probably be getting better results. Maybe Piontek was wrong, but maybe we should have gone for a um, a Kane 
alternative in like a giant lump. Igalo, I don't know. There's there's moments where you kind of glimpse at Igalo and he looks he looks better than Lucas Moura as in number nine position. And I think I think that's maybe where we've we've lacked we've lacked something. Lucas Moura can't play through the middle. Igalo for all for his weakness in his game can. Same with Chris Wood. So so maybe there was a case that we should have loaned Igalo. I I appreciate what you're saying completely. And I think we did try for the short term option. We tried to get um, William Jose on loan. We tried to get Olivier Giroud on loan. They didn't come off. So they obviously had like players in mind that if they were available on loan, Piontek we tried to get on loan. If they could have got that kind of ilk of player on loan, I think they'd have been happy. But if that's not available and you're going to have to sign someone over two, three years, you don't want someone that isn't right for the squad long term. And so I kind of, I kind of accept the fact that they didn't sign someone. I think it's a reasonable approach to assume that we can go with Son and then use Delhi and Bergvine and Lucas and Lamella and whoever in the final third. I, I think that is fine. And it's just so unfortunate that, like I said, Son got injured like the week after. Um, Nathan, am I letting him off the hook too easily here? I would have signed a defensive midfielder. <laughs> like... Yeah, yeah, there's that, there's that. Yeah, no, that's a very fair point. And I guess the other thing is, of course, that the ideal approach is that you have lots of players lined up who you've scouted through analytics and uh, scouting leagues that are kind of under the radar and you have backup options for when Olivier Giroud is not possible to sign. This is the, the constant frustration with Spurs and was one of my frustrations with Pochettino at the helm as well. Mm. Um, okay, right, we'll come back to transfers because we've got questions on those, but we're going to talk about coronavirus uh obviously this is far bigger an issue than just football but we're going to talk about how it affects uh the rest of the the football season so uh big white heart lane blue heart who is at spurs last minute on twitter he says regarding covid19 what do you think is the most likely course of action for the league and champions league remainder will it be void will it restart through the summer or something else like playoffs Basically, what will happen to us with games to go and no end outcome? Buddy, I mean, at this point, it's very difficult to predict what might happen. But what do you what do you suspect they'll be thinking of as, as possible solutions here? I mean, I, I don't think football can continue behind closed doors because as human beings in general, we're too stupid to be able to do that. The whole point of football behind closed doors is to stop people gathering. And as uh, PSG and Valencia showed um, last week, if a football match takes place, people will gather. If um, if we continue the season behind closed doors and Liverpool, when when Liverpool win the league, there will be thousands upon thousands of Liverpool fans on the streets celebrating. So the whole purpose of um, limiting gatherings isn't going to happen. I think the, the only way is let's get through to April. Let's see what the situation is with the virus and the numbers and everything else. And then make a decision to probably not void the league. I think they will take into account final positions and then they will probably um in my opinion probably promote the top two teams in each division up a level and do no relegation i think i think that's probably the only way to get through it liverpool crown champions with an asterisk next to their name which will annoy them forever but i i think that's probably how it's going to go and european places will go to those teams who are in the european places if there is a champions league next year 
So I, I kind of I'm thinking the opposite. I'm I'm thinking that they'll try and finish the league in some way. Um, and and I don't know how that will work timing wise. Like, could they wait and see what happens? Wait to a point for wait wait for a point where the majority of people have either had the virus and become immune, or mm. or the numbers are so low that it's kind of the spread stopping a little bit, and then start having some behind closed doors matches just to get the season done. That could then run into the start of next season. You could push next season back. We've already moved the Euros, so that gives capacity to to do that kind of thing to run late, and then perhaps next season starts late, and then there's a knock on effect there. Um, Nathan, how about you? What what do you think would be kind of a, a practical solution? What do you foresee happening? Um, okay, so okay, I'm obviously not uh, a medical expert in any kind of way, and I've not done any studying of pandemics. Um, but I am like obviously a nerdy guy who's into reading over the science and the graphs and everything. Uh, and I've really been putting my homework in on this. And this is like not going to be over in a few weeks. Like this is going to go on for six, nine months, a year. Um, so like we're not just going to postpone this season and come back to it at a later time. That's for sure. So we need to make decisions about results. Obviously, you know, situations where... Liverpool have run away with the league. They've won the league, but the Champions League, you're not going to get a, a, any kind of decisive winner. Um, I don't think that we can continue to play football uh, like Barley says behind closed doors because, yeah, people, aside from chanting outside the stadium, will go to the pub to watch the game and, and nonsense like that. And I think that we will see um, gatherings of like more than five people um, ruled against or at least highly, highly discouraged. Um, so I, I just think it will be quite a while before we see football. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I think I think this is going to have a knock-on effect. I think Premier League clubs can can deal with the fallout of not yeah. having live games, but I think there's going to be a massive knock-on effect down the leagues, 100%. especially yeah, teams that are reliant on um, gate receipts on match day income. It's it's going to hurt. Eventually, it will start to hurt the Premier League as well because you know. They, Tottenham needs that. Um, however, what million pounds of uh, of beer that they they get for each game? So it, this is this is a huge thing. I think the Euros will will definitely go as they can always bring them back on, and we'll probably see a um, a Premier League season maybe start later later in the winter, September, October, and then um, Champions League, maybe European competition cancelled for for another year. I tell you what, though, people people need people are going to need football as a distraction. Mm. This is going to be a really miserable period, and for a lot of people, myself included, football is escapism. Football is is a step away from your everyday life where you don't have to think about anything except your team's performance and results. And it's a very welcome distraction <laughs> in a in a challenging modern world. I don't and know what I'm going to do with my life. What am I, I going to do with all my time, Wendy? You know, seriously, seriously, a, like yeah. This is a huge issue, um, and again, like that's not to trivialise the fact that that thousands of people are yeah. going to be very unwell and are going to die, and that's insanely upsetting. And mm. we're all going to know people who were affected by this, and it's, mm. it's horrible. It's it's almost impossible to contemplate how wide-reaching this is going to be. But that, that this is why we need we need sport back to give us some kind of distraction from this horror. 
Oh, we had a question from Anthony who says, I know it's not one of your normal topics of conversation, but do you think the club should help fans financially by refunding season ticket holders, putting the renewal date on hold, paying the matchday staff regardless, etc.? And I thought that was a really kind of interesting question. Uh, obviously, you, you, you're right to point out that there are some clubs who are not going to cope with this at all. Premier League, Premier League clubs absolutely can. They have the kind of financial padding to allow that to happen. Nathan, what do you think Spurs will do? Are they going to help fans out? Are they going to pay their employees and make sure that people whose income is is is, is is kind of they need to work on match days in order to get paid do you think spurs will help people like that out uh i certainly don't think that they will be keen to do so but i think that uh i don't know if there will be but there certainly should be government government initiative um because loads and loads of major businesses small businesses are going to collapse but major businesses mm-hmm. are going to um be non-operational for a long time which means millions of people essentially without work for a long time uh so yeah this is much bigger than football in that that there needs to be a, a dr- dramatic um financial restructuring all over industry um because there there there's uh, going to be a very little financial support for for those in the most need so um mm. i don't know what if tottenham will take any kind of initiative on it we've seen a situation in america with a, a basketball team who um the 19 year old rookie player is given up one of his earliest professional paychecks to pay the um the sort of in stadium staff rather than the owner who's a billionaire so wow. yeah it's it's wild so i i don't know whether whether levy and lewis will take any kind of initiative on this but i i think that and um, in order to avoid like a major global fallout um there 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 will need to be like a uh, uh, maybe even like a universal um basic income um in in sort of um a tax support method because um yeah millions of people are, are going to be without income very soon i i suspect there'll be some kind of live aid style um crowd crowdfunding charity event ultimately which will help people because it's it's going to get really bad before it, it gets any better um, people are going to need a lot of financial support um, Bardi I'm interested because you're a season ticket holder mm. how, how do you feel about this do you expect a refund from Spurs if the season get camp, gets cancelled um, I think we'll get a refund I think Spurs will hang on to that money for as long as they can yep. they'll want to keep it in their in their um, bank uh, bank account there's also the weird I mean these aren't play these aren't people on the breadline either but um, an, an individual like Jan Vertonghen whose contract is up and then there's individuals who are further down the league who um, whose contracts will be up this summer then kind of what happens to them mm. I know they're not like they're not going to be queuing up for food banks and everything else but there's there's going to be thousands of footballers who will have no club this summer and then it's still I know it's a different level but it's still a wage it's still a job it's still they've got mortgages to pay on their own level there's still going to be all these footballers out there who don't have jobs and it's um, I'm I'm hoping it doesn't end up this bad because I I, I don't know I, I was feeling okay about it until Nathan just started talking and now I'm, so like, now I'm like wow uh, yeah, so um, I'm hoping it doesn't get that bad, but I don't expect I don't expect Spurs to give me any money back anytime soon. They will wait until it's officially um, officially done, and um, I'm kind of glad I didn't renew my season ticket already. So I can I'm, I'm sure they'll let us extend that. Hmm. Uh, yes, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, so, so the the problem, I suppose, with the solution I suggested, which is to just keep going until the season is done and then start the next one, is that it'll run over into the transfer window, and then you've got an issue. Is like, would 
you be allowed play. to play players you've just bought? Yeah, how 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 do you sign players from abroad if, if the restrictions are still there in terms of overseas travel? There's all these kind of issues to to get your head around. It's really going to change things. Um, it'll be interesting to see that there might be some good to come from it. I mean, this is the thing. We've got to try and think of some nice things that might come from this global disaster. Uh, one of them I thought of this morning is that there's going to be some amazing art to come from this. People are going to have a lot of time. Writers will be writing novels and films and TV shows that mm-hmm. are going to be... They'll have more time to dedicate to them. That's a good thing. This is going to be an amazing... There's going to be some amazing art to come. Uh, maybe young young footballers will get more of an opportunity, potentially, because, like you say, Nathan, there might be some restrictions on players joining from abroad. Um, and Jose Mourinho might be able to work out some tactics that that benefit Spurs uh, in this quiet period. And and that leads on to a question from Oscar Anderson, who says, will the break actually help Spurs get get to a better position because of injured players? um, Or is it too late to hope for top five? I mean, it depends so much on whether the season restarts or not. But uh, Buddy, are there positives for Spurs in this this kind of uh, this gap? If it it then starts up again, say we do play behind closed doors to finish the season, would this be a positive? Yeah, the more, the more weeks we get, the closer Kane and Son get to return. And so, yeah, that's that's probably the only positive. Um, other positives we can look towards is hopefully humans starting to be a bit nicer to each other. But yeah. I don't from any walk around any supermarket at the moment, and <laughs> that's not the impression you get. Hmm. I think there's going to be a, a spike in the birth rate uh, nine, nine months. months after this <laughs> yeah. period because <laughs> people are stuck at home with not much to do. <laughs> that's going to be interesting. No more pressure on the NHS. Um, okay, right. This is a really long podcast already, so I think what we're going to do is call that part one and we'll come back with part two. You've been listening to The Extra Inch. Thanks to Nathan A. Clark for production. Thanks to Bardi for being Italian. Thanks to Adam Gardner for the artwork. Thanks to David Lindner for our intro music. You can find him on Twitter at Davy Shambles and his SoundCloud D Lindner. Do check him out. He's great. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Extra Inch. Email us via podcast at theextrainch.co.uk and subscribe via your usual podcast platforms. And if you do enjoy the podcast, consider leaving us a rating and review. That would really help. Treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their Golden Glow body set includes three clinically proven bestsellers for smooth, glowing skin. While the Glow and Go facial set provides spa-level results at home. Both sets come in giftable boxes with savings up to $48 and free shipping for a limited time. For 10% off your first order site-wide, go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM.